And what a joy that is to be able to participate in a time of remembrance for the broken body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that's given for our remission of sins. And Haggai chapter 2, we're going to read just a few verses and then we will uh, get into the message tonight. Beginning in verse number 1, Haggai chapter 2 and verse number 1, In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory, and how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work. For I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when ye came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Father, we come to you tonight and pray that you will give wisdom and guidance, that we will be able to fully understand and to see the richness of the truths that are found in this passage. Lord, we long so much to have the fullness of your presence in our life. And I pray that you would help us to make that the desire of our hearts. That we would long to give you the preeminence in our life. That you would be not just an important thing to us, but the most important thing to us. That we would learn to love you with all of our hearts and with all of our souls and with all of our minds. Lord, we want truly to learn what it is and how to abide in you. And to allow you to abide in us as your people. And Lord, we long for the day that we'll see you face to face. But until then, I pray that you will draw our hearts very near to you and close to you. And that while we're here on this earth, we will be able to worship you in the right way, in the right sense. And that we'll be able to labor with you and for you with your power upon our ministry and our lives. So, Father, we ask that you would fill this moment of preaching with your power and the direction and the leadership of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We find that Haggai is asked by the Lord to come to the nation of Israel. And Israel has done a great work here. Uh, this happens just a few years after the time of Nehemiah and Ezra and the rebuilding of the wall that took place in 52 days, believe it or not. The people of Israel were able to rebuild the wall and the gates in a miraculous amount of time. And the reason for that is God prospered them. And then Ezra comes on the scene in the second half of Nehemiah, as we mentioned this morning, and brings revival to the land as he begins to read the words of the law. And the people uh, repent and are in sackcloth and ashes, and they're rejoicing in the law of God once again and drawing close to Him. 
and they restore the foundations of the temple and they remove all of the debris from where they had been destroyed and the fire had come and everything was cleaned and ready to go. And then all of a sudden, work on the temple ceased. We find as we get to the book of Haggai here about 11 years after this period of time that God is getting on to the nation of Israel once again and saying, folks, you guys are running every man to your own house, and my house is lying in waste. He says that in chapter 1. In two different times, he tells Haggai to mention to the people, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. He was saying, folks, you've grown into a, a point of apathy, and you need to wake up to what's going on here. You're working on your sealed houses. You're laboring to earn wages, and yet you're earning wages to put them into a bag of holes, and about as fast as you're earning the wages, you're losing them because you're running every man to your own house, and my house lies waste. He said, now therefore, go up to the mountain and bring the wood and build the house, and I'll take pleasure in it. And so this is the setting that we find as we get to chapter 2 of the book of Haggai. The temple is still not rebuilt, and yet there's an effort and a concerted effort by God's people to begin to do the work. And as they begin to do the work, there is a great movement of negativism and and pessimism and uh, people that are looking down their noses at what the effort is doing to rebuild the temple. And this is not something that is coming from outside of the nation of Israel, but this is coming from actually the nation of Israel itself and those that had seen Solomon's temple in its glory. Now, if you've never looked and seen how Solomon's temple was built, it was magnificent. Uh, the workmanship, the architecture, the craftsmanship of it was second to none. To the point where people would travel from all over the world to see this splendor of the temple that Solomon had built. Inlaid gold and tapestries and the vessels of the temple and all the magnificence of it. What an amazing thing. I wish I could have seen it in person as I've read the descriptions of it and wondered, well, what an amazing thing this is. And as the nation of Israel begins to rebuild the second temple... There's a group of folks who remembered what Solomon's temple used to be like. And they began to criticize. And they began to say, this temple will be nothing like Solomon's temple, folks. Y'all are wasting your time trying to build this thing again. There will never be another day like this Solomon's temple was. And we learn something from this passage that there is a danger of living in the past with what God has done in our lives and not looking forward to what God is going to do with our lives. I've watched over the years in ministry as sometimes people have magnificent mountaintop experiences and great blessings of God on their lives and on their ministries. And in their younger years, they're very vital and involved in working in ministry and reaching people with the gospel. And at some point in their life, circumstances change to where they're no longer in a position to do those things. And they spend the last years of their life reminiscing and dreaming about the days that used to be and saying, well, those were the days and God will never be able to be that way again. Sometimes you hear your parents talk about the good old days 
And some of you are old enough to remember the good old days, and they weren't quite so good as we remembered them. And so we're so often tempted to look at the past and say, boy, it was great back then, wasn't it? Satan, I believe, many times uses the past to keep us from doing the things that God would have us to do in the future. And so they're discouraged. There are folks that are family and friends that are looking at them and saying, you're wasting your time. For this temple will never be what Solomon's temple was. It'll be an embarrassment to God and it'll be an embarrassment to the nation of Israel as the people around will look at it and say, oh, we remember what Solomon's temple was, but this one is nothing like it. I want you to notice as we get to verse number 2 that God tells Haggai to speak to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, who was the governor at the time, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, who was the high priest. And notice this, in verse number 2, he says, And to the residue of the people. Can I tell you this? God, this isn't part of the message, but it's encouraging to note that God always has a remnant, doesn't He? There's always a remnant of those that remain true to the Word of God and will not bow the knee to Baal. You remember Elijah was so depressed and worried and afraid that Ahab was going to kill him. And he said, I alone serve you, Lord. And he said, oh, not so. I've got many, many hundreds of prophets that have not bowed a knee to Baal. But there has always been a remnant that God has had that have remained true and has, has forged ahead for the glory of God. And there was a group of folks in Israel who said, we don't care what the naysayers say. We're going to do the work that God has given us to do and God will prosper us. So we find here in verse number 2 that he's telling the governor and he's telling the high priest and he's telling the residue or the remnant, if you will, of the people. Now look what he says here. Who is left among you who saw this house in her first glory and how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison as if it was nothing? Yet now, look at this, be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord. And be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek the high priest, and be strong. And all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. Three different times God tells people to be strong. And I want you to notice that this is not Haggai getting up in a church service and trying to pep rally and put a, uh, a shot in the arm for the people there. This is God saying, Zerubbabel, I want you to be strong. This is God who's standing up and saying, uh, Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, I want you to be strong. And this is God who stands up in front of the residue of the people and says, folks, I want you to be strong. I would encourage us tonight here at Keith Heights Baptist Church that we take, we take great merit in this passage as we learn that it is God that strengthens us. For he says here in verse number four, for I am with you. Not Haggai saying this, but according to verse number four, saith the Lord of hosts, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. What Haggai was portraying to the nation of Israel on behalf of God is it doesn't matter what they say. Get busy and do the work. For I am with you. 
It doesn't matter the persecution or the trials or the discouragement that may come their way. They are encouraged by the fact that God has given His promise to be strong, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. Now look what he says in verse number 5. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. You remember when they left Egypt that God promised that He would go before them and behind them. And He caused a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to lead the children of Israel. And it was interesting that God used this to not only lead them, but also to defend them. For you see, when they were backed up to the Red Sea and the Egyptian army was pursuing hard after them and the people began to complain to Moses, and we all remember the story, how they came to Moses and said, you've brought us out here in the wilderness to die. We would have been better off to stay in Egypt. And Moses, that great man, that great leader, stands up and says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And then he goes in his tent and he said, Lord, what am I going to do? And God says, why are you praying to me? Get going. He said, go forward. But you remember that story, how that God parted the Red Sea. And the pillar of fire went from before them to the backside of the Israelites. And it was unto them as day, but to the Egyptians it became as night. And when the psalmist wrote in the Psalms, Thou hast set me before and behind The children of Israel knew intimately exactly what that meant. That God was going to lead and God was going to defend. But God had promised and covenanted with them that He would always be with them. And as we said this morning, God doesn't break covenant. And so His promise that He gave them in Egypt is still in in play here and it's still a valid covenant as He has promised that He will be with His people. So He strengthens Zerubbabel the governor, and He strengthens Joshua the high priest, and He strengthens the residue of the people. And He says in verse number 4, and uh, verse number four, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord. And, what's that four-letter word there? <laughs> Work. Work. That's the word we don't like to hear very often, does it? Uh, I've heard people say... Uh, Uh, Well, if it hadn't been for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. No, no. God gave work before the fall of man ever happened. In fact, God designed us. We are most fulfilled and most satisfied in life when we work. You want to find... Wives will attest to this. Let your husband take a three-week vacation. Does he become ornery around the house? Oh, you better believe it. Because we're designed to work. We're filled and fulfilled and satisfied in it. God tells these folks, listen, rise up. I want you to build this temple. He said, don't worry about the criticisms you'll get. Verse number 6, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. Now look at this in verse 7. And I will fill... Solomon's temple with my glory. Is that what your King James Bible says? I'll fill Solomon's... No, it doesn't say that in mine either. What does it say? It says, I will fill 
This house. That's got to be a typo. That can't, are you sure that's right? I mean, this, this, this house isn't near what Solomon's temple was. Lord, are you sure you're really going to fill this house with your glory? Oh, you better believe it. Can I tell you this? The glory of God's house is not in its ornateness, but it's in the presence of God. For you see, the glory of God filled an old tent tabernacle out in the wilderness with the Shekinah glory of God that filled the Holy of Holies. We find that God has promised to the people, if you'll be strong and you'll do the work, I will fill this house with my glory, saith the Lord of hosts. Getting the picture here, Haggai doesn't want the people of Israel to think this is what he's saying. He wants them to be certain God has said this. The silver is mine, verse number 8, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. You know what he was saying? Don't worry about all the gold tapestries and the vessels of the temple. and Don't worry about all of that. I've got all the gold I need. I've got all the silver I need. It's not about that. I've heard churches say, well, we just don't have what that church down the road has. Oh, but we can have the glory of God fill this house. The glory, look what he says in verse number 9, the glory of this latter house shall be greater. Is that what it says? It shall be greater than of the former. Boy, Solomon's temple was amazing. God's glory certainly was in Solomon's temple. There's no doubt about it. But he's promised the nation of Israel it may not be as spectacular as Solomon's temple on the outside. But what's on the inside is going to be far more important. And it will be filled with more glory than Solomon's temple ever was. Saith the Lord of hosts, And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Now follow with me for a moment. The message is very simple tonight. Where is God's temple today? Right here. It's not the building. It's not the chairs. It's not the carpeting. It's not the air conditioning. It's not Keith Heights Baptist Church facility. The temple of God are the members that make up the church. And God has said, listen... The outside may not be all that it ought to be. But I will, if you'll do the work, I will fill this house with my glory. One of the questions the deacons asked me several weeks ago is, Brother Greg, what will be your primary goal in coming in as pastor? And it's always been the same throughout all of my ministry. My primary goal is to get people to walk with God and to love Him with all their heart. If we can get people to learn to abide in Him and let Him abide in them, to be filled with the fullness of God, there will be plenty of workers to do the work if we ever get to that point. If there's one thing I can encourage you with as a pastor is that we need to become passionate about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We need to learn to walk with Him on a daily basis and not just dry, shriveled up devotion time, but I'm talking about being devoted to God. Where when we wake up in the morning, our first thought on our hearts is, Lord, what would You have me to do today? Where we love Him with all of our hearts and with all of our souls and with all of our minds. And by the way, when we get to that point, we can't help but bubble over about it. We can't help but be rejoicing in it. Jeremiah, who was known as the weeping prophet and wrote our book Lamentations, said at one point in his ministry, I will speak no more in his name. And a few verses later he said, but it was shut up in me like a fire. And he said, I could not contain it. Oh, that we would be so full of the fullness of God that it would just bubble out. That when we talk to folks about the Lord Jesus Christ, that we speak out of the excess. We speak out of that which is bubbling over the rim of the cup. There was a lady in Florida that uh, worked at the DMV, that place where you love to go because you never have everything that you need. And her name was Sandy. And every time I went there, it seemed like God just put me in her booth. And I, I'd go up to her little window there and she'd look at the paperwork and realize that it was Faith Baptist Church down there. And boy, she would light up and her face would light up. And for 30 minutes, she wouldn't touch the stuff that was sitting there in front of her. She would talk about how good God was. Because she was so filled with the glory of God in her life, she could not contain it. How many of you have had a birthday party in your lifetime? Any of you? Some of you are getting ready to have one, right, Jonathan? Hopefully pretty soon here in a few weeks, about a week or so. When you had a birthday party, especially when you were younger, did you invite people to come to your birthday party? Man, you couldn't wait. You wanted your friends to come, didn't you? And you couldn't wait to spit all over the cake and then watch people eat it and laugh that they <laughs> as they blow out the candles. Man, you invited all your friends, and when you were younger and lived at home still, mom and dad sometimes had to say, whoa, that's too many. you got all you can handle. You know why? Because you were so excited about the birthday party coming up. You remember the day you got married, or before leading up to the time you got married? How many of you sent out wedding invitations? Man, you wanted people to come, didn't you? You wanted folks to see and to celebrate your love. You wanted the whole world to know. Let's make it a little easier for you. How many of you ever had a yard sale? Any of you ever have a yard sale? You know what people do with yard sale? They have all this stuff, about ten things, and they put it on a table. That they, they put it on a bench or something out in front of their house, it seems like. And then they put these huge signs that are fluorescent with a giant arrow, and it says, Big Yard Sale. <laughs> and there's nothing there when you get there. And they don't just put it in front of their house. They go all the way to the end of the street and put it in there. Here in this area, in Florida, everything's laid out in a grid, so it's real easy. You just put a couple arrows and everybody comes by. But up here, the roads go everywhere. And I've been places where they had signs three and four miles away from where the the yard sale was. Big arrow, yard sale, big estate sale. And people will get all excited and they'll put out signs in their yards and they'll put it in the newspaper and they'll excite people and say, I've got a yard sale going on to my house. Can I tell you next Sunday morning we're going to have the glory of God at Keith the Heights Baptist Church. Let's put some signs out. 
Let's tell some people, hey, y'all want to see the glory of God? It'll be here next Sunday morning. You say, Brother Greg, how do you know that? Because we're the temples. And when we fill this place, God's glory will be here. Amen. So let's put up the signs. Let's invite everybody we can. I think the world is starving to death to see a church that's on fire for God and to see a church that God's presence is in. We lose young people by the droves because they don't see God's hand at work anymore. And we sit back many times reminiscing and thinking about all the things that God has done in our life while our young people are sitting here saying, I've heard you talk about it, but I've never seen it. There's going to be a lot of folks along the way when you try to do something for God. There's always opposition. Amen. Just going to be. Jesus said they have hated me. They're going to hate you. There's going to be opposition along the way. What do we do? We be strong. Because the Lord is with us. And he's the one that's going to do the work and give the increase anyway. there's one thing I can leave you with tonight. Let's seek for God's glory to fill our house. To fill this temple. For the fullness of God to be evident in our lives. There used to be a day when some of the old timers would seek and yearn and pray and plead for the filling of God's power. We don't see that a lot anymore. We plan programs, and there's nothing wrong with programs if they're done the right way, and we have the right emphasis on God doing the work. But we've, we've gone away from God's power, and we've planned programs instead. We've come up with gimmicks and things that we can use to try to build a church and to get a crowd and a congregation. When what people need is for a group of genuine Christians that are full of the glory of God to reach out and share with them just a small touch of God. Sunday morning we got the glory of God is going to be here. Wednesday night, we're going to have the glory of God here. Next Sunday night, we're going to have the glory of God here. Let's let people know. I think it's a shame we spend more time promoting our garage sales than we do the glory of God. We spend more time and effort and money to promote a wedding than we do promoting the glory of God. John said it this way as he quoted the Savior. He said, And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. We need to raise him up high. I like to watch parades. I don't know about you, but I love the Thanksgiving Day. Now, nowadays it's all entertainment, but back in the old days, I loved to watch the old Macy's Day parade, didn't you? Thanksgiving Day, I'd smell mama cooking the. Thanksgiving dinner, and I'd sit there and watch that parade, and I love the pageantry of it. Schools, high schools and colleges that would dress in their finest 
outfits. They had people in front of them that would spin the banners and the flags and they would proudly carry their school colors and the, the, the rifles and the drill teams and they would be promoting and they were so proud of representing their school in the Macy's Day Parade. Can I tell you, there ought not be any more excitement about Keith Heights Baptist Church. I'm not saying you got to get a banner and walk down the streets of Festus, but it wouldn't be a bad idea, would it? For you see, what we have at this church is far more glorious and far more important than a parade or a yard sale or a birthday or a wedding. God will fill this house with His glory. The Bible says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And aren't you glad the glory in this house, this latter house, is way far greater than it ever was in the former house? Oh, the glory of God. Don't let the criticizers, don't let the naysayers discourage. Let God fill the house. And let it be known everywhere you go. Father, we're thankful for Your Word and what it means to us. Lord, we are a needy people. Lord, I know there were some that came in here tonight with burdens on their hearts. Lord, we are in need of being revived and stirred in our hearts again. Lord, to have a passion and a love for You. Lord, something that would be contagious. As men in this world would see the God that we serve at work in our lives. And Lord, I'm going to ask that in a moment as we have an invitation that Your Holy Spirit will do His work in our hearts. There's nothing special we understand about an altar other than it seems to solidify decisions in our hearts and our minds. But Lord, may we at least upon the altar of our heart do business with You tonight as You've led and as You've directed and as You've challenged and encouraged us from Your Word tonight. I pray that You would help us to recommit to rededicate our hearts and our lives, to seek for the fullness of Your presence and Your glory in our hearts. So, Father, we pray that You bless the time of decision in a few moments as we express our love and our commitment to You through the beautiful ordinance of the Lord's Supper. I pray that You will receive the honor and glory through it and it will be a blessing to us. And draw our hearts closer to You. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, if you would, with heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to see if our musicians would just come and play a verse of invitation for us. And if God's spoken to your heart, I wonder, would you come tonight? I'm going to ask, if you will, that you just keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. And if God has not spoken to your heart, but maybe everything is well between you and the Savior tonight, and there's no need to respond in that way, Would you be praying for those maybe that He has? Just as I am without one plea as they play the music, our altars are open. Would you come as they play?